Welcome to the Beyond Devices podcast. My name is Jan Dawson and with me as always is Aaron Miller. This is our second episode of the week. This is our news roundup episode in which we talk about some of the week's big tech news. We already covered all the announcements from Google I.O. that we could squeeze in in an earlier episode this week. That was our question of the week deep dive episode. So if you haven't listened to that yet and are interested in our take on that news, then go check that out. Uh, but in this one, we will round up some of the other big tech news. So uh, first, we'll talk about Spotify and some financial numbers that the information uh, reported this week. Uh, this seems to happen every year that their annual numbers, which are reported to their private investors, get leaked out to some publication or other. And this year, the information seems to have had the first bite at that. Um, so we'll talk about those numbers and what they suggest about Spotify and where it is and where it's going. Secondly, we'll talk about the developments this week in the Waymo Uber lawsuit over LiDAR technology and stolen documents and, and everything else. So we'll talk about some of the things that happened there this week. And then thirdly, we're going to talk about a sort of grab bag of Apple news, uh, various things about Apple were in the news this week. And depending on how much time we have left when we get to that third segment, we'll talk about various of those. But we'll kick off with those Spotify numbers. And again, the information, uh, which is a subscription publication that really uh, focuses on sort of scoops and original reporting, uh, had the report this time around about Spotify's financials leaked out via some of its private investors. And uh, it was just kind of headline numbers. The details that we've sometimes seen in the past were not there, but um, the details that there were suggested, firstly, you know, rapid revenue growth still, I think 49% revenue growth year on year, um, but also worsening margins and uh, some other things that are worth talking about as well. But Aaron, what was your take on the Spotify stuff? Well, I have been on record as saying that I think Spotify is a likely acquisition target. I know that they're hoping to IPO, but if margins keep shrinking and they have to report that in their prospectus for the IPO, they're going to have a ref go um, and won't raise very much, as much as you know they would hope to. And, and, and so that, that makes it a much more attractive target as far as an acquisition goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, really, that's how they're going to have to evaluate it is, you know, do, can the investors get out through an acquisition better off or can they get out better off through an IPO? But if margins keep shrinking, that scares off investors as far as the IPO goes. Um, this is still a really rough business. You know, we don't know, like, what sort of margins Apple is making off of Apple Music, really. Um, but it, it seems more and more like it's, like, music streaming is works better as part of an ecosystem rather than as a standalone. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that uh, that leaves Spotify sort of out on its own in the cold a little bit. Yeah, one of the big challenges that I think, you know, Spotify and these other standalone music companies face is because they're not part of an ecosystem, uh, they don't have a funnel. You know, the uh, Spotify's funnel is the free tier that it offers, and it's a good funnel for paid subscriptions, but it still has to feed that free tier somehow, um, which means it has to actively market itself and then do partnerships with companies where they do promotional packages and that kind of thing. And there was some evidence in those numbers although it wasn't reported directly, just comparing the paid subscriber growth and then the revenue growth year on year, paid subscriber growth was 71%, but revenue growth was just under 50%. So that suggests the revenue per subscriber has gone down quite a bit over the past year. And you know, given the number of deals they have with wireless carriers in Europe in particular, they've got to deal with the New York Times, they've got to deal with Capital One credit cards, 
they do family subscriptions and student subscriptions, which have a discounted rate as well, at least per subscriber. Um, you know, those things have all sort of depressed the revenue per subscriber, and those are all about sort of promotional stuff. Um, but even on a gross margin basis, their margins were worsening, and that's the sort of big worry here because their single biggest cost is royalties. In other words, what they pay for the music that they play. And if that cost is actually going up as a percentage of revenue, that's really heading in the wrong direction. Um, now, they did do a deal since the end of last year with, I think it was Universal Music, uh, to uh, lower the royalty rate ever so slightly so that they could, uh, well, in return for what Universal wanted, which was more exclusives on the paid tiers, such that there would be more of a difference between the free and paid tiers. And that wouldn't have kicked in in those 2016 results. So we'll see if things change during the course of this year. If they do indeed go public at some point this year, we'll see those numbers. Um, but, you know, based on last year's results, things seem to have been going in the wrong direction from a margin perspective, which certainly not what you want as you're in the run-up to going public. Um, as you say, and so there's still this fundamental question about whether this, you know, business can be successful. And you know, this week there were also reports about uh, Rhapsody, which owns the remnants of Napster, as well as the Rapster streaming service, um, cutting a bunch of jobs. CEO left. You know, some turmoil there. Pandora was reported to be in talks with Sirius XM about an acquisition. You know, those are the sort of second tier players in this business. But even Spotify, which is the giant in the business is struggling financially and that's not a great sign you know the irony is that streaming is really saving the music industry right now especially specifically subscription streaming uh, but the actual companies that are doing most of this except for you know apple which obviously makes all its money elsewhere are still struggling financially so it's not saving them by any stretch of the imagination right it's a subsidized market right now i mean on, on spotify's ends it's subsidized by its investors hoping that things can turn around and and then the other, you know, huge player in the space right now is Apple Music, and that's obviously subsidized by Apple's vast income every quarter. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's hard to know where this is going to settle. But an ecosystem, it, this this streaming business being an ecosystem enhancement, especially if you know, uh, like Google Home, Amazon Echo, and other home-based devices sort of take off. Um, this all makes a lot more sense part of a bigger commitment to a company in terms of what services you use and how you pay for them right so yeah it will it you know it'll be interesting to see what happens in uh in, in the next six to 12 months as far as spotify goes it doesn't i mean it doesn't seem like they're running out of money or there are any dire circumstances ahead but I won't be surprised if there are already some big companies who are weighing, who are seriously considering an acquisition there. Because the thing is, is Spotify has done other things really well and way better than everybody else. I, I think the the social aspects of Spotify still beat the pants off of anything else out there. You know, the, the ability mm -hmm. to share playlists is, is part of Spotify's DNA and right. something that Apple Music has, you know, just has really nothing to offer for um uh and so yeah I, I i mean i don't i i don't think spotify is dead i don't think it's going away but i think no. it's likely to change ownership um before yeah. long and then the big interesting question then becomes of course who would buy them and google seems like an obvious possibility right i think amazon uh, just, is one too yeah yeah those two seem like the obvious companies but uh yeah it'd be very interesting to see which way it goes obviously both of those companies already have 
music services of their own. You know, in Google's case, it has several, and that's been a criticism already. So adding yet another one uh, doesn't necessarily simplify that at all. But right. you know, you'd be adding a massively successful one, and, and then I mean, there, there are some antitrust concerns potentially because Google already obviously owns the single largest music streaming service, which is YouTube. Um, on the ad-supported side. And then if it was also to own the largest paid subscription service, that might be a bit of a worry for regulators. Uh, Amazon, of course, doesn't uh, really play in a major way in the music market. It does have several offerings out there, but it's small market share. Yeah, so it'd Prime, be a bit different. Imagine instead of Prime Music the way they have it now, imagine Spotify being part of a no. Prime subscription. Right. Um, you know, I mean, that would be that would be a really super powerful yeah. competitive yeah. offering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you know that cost them quite a bit of money. I mean, it's sure. you know I think Spotify's revenue this past year was somewhere around three billion dollars. So, you know, if you kind of figure that's all cost and then some at this point, you know, you, you lose some of those costs um, when you merge into a business like Amazon. But you know, assuming it continues to grow, but effectively subsidizing that would be a big hit. Um, if they kept the free tier, it wouldn't surprise right. me if they got rid of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Anyway, yeah. worth watching, certainly. And, you know, there's this whole thing about the fact that Spotify probably is going to go public later this year, but not through a traditional IPO either. It's going to be a direct listing, as they call it. So, that you know, the difference between an IPO and a direct listing is, I guess, with an IPO, you work with a bunch of uh, organizations to, to set a, a, an official price and you, you know, have people committed to buy a certain number of shares as you go public. Uh, with a direct listing, you just say, now our shares are available to the public um, without that. Uh, and that seems to be the route they're planning to go down. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out too. Yeah. Well, let's talk about this Waymo Uber news. And if you haven't been following the lawsuit closely, very briefly, Waymo, which is Alphabet's self-driving car unit, used to be part of Google. It's now a separate unit under Waymo. Um, arguably the leader in self-driving car development technology among the sort of tech companies out there. Uh, certainly done far more driving of these cars than any other tech company out there. Um, Waymo sued Uber earlier this year over the fact that a former employee, Anthony Lewandowski, who worked at Waymo for a couple of years and has spent a lot of time at different companies and organizations in this business, uh, he left there, started a self-driving truck company called Otto, and then Otto was subsequently acquired by Uber. Uh, Waymo alleges that uh, he, before leaving Waymo, uh, downloaded tons and tons of documents, I think 14,000 documents or something, onto his personal computer and took them with him. And that he then used those documents and the work that he'd done at Waymo uh, to help Uber effectively uh, fast track its development of LiDAR technology and LiDAR sort of light radar. So it's a, one of the key components in most self-driving car technologies, basically how the car sees the environment around it. And so, you know, Waymo has done really good work on that and really brought the cost down. Uh, Everybody else is mostly using Velodyne and other third-party LiDAR units, which are very expensive and in short supply. Uh, Uber started in this business quite late and yet has very rapidly developed its own LiDAR technology. And so there was some suspicion on Waymo's part that it had done that in part by bringing Lewandowski on board and, and with him the technology he'd helped to develop at Waymo. Um, this case has been going on for several weeks. It's still in the sort of preliminary stages, and the, the first thing that Waymo had asked for was a preliminary injunction uh, to stop Uber from developing and using this self-driving technology. Uh, and and la- end of last week and then beginning of this week, um, the d- there was a decision handed down last week. It was made public early this week, uh, which was 
that the judge basically said, you're not getting everything you want, Waymo, but I am going to give you some of what you want. Uh, I'm going to force Lewandowski to stay away from this LIDAR area while this case goes on. And in reality, he had already stepped away voluntarily. Um, but also, he basically said, there seems to be good evidence that these documents were actually taken, uh, that, that Lewandowski has them. And so he and Uber need to do everything they possibly can to find these documents, to hand them back, to destroy all copies of them, and then to document what they were, who's had access to them, what's been done with them, and so on. Um, and uh, as a result of that, and, and this is one of the interesting aspects of this case, is that you know it, it's Waymo has sued Uber, but Uber has almost pushed, tried to push the whole thing off on Lewandowski specifically, kind of acting as if this was all him. He was acting under his own initiative. And and one of the funny things about the case is just how willing both Uber and their employee have been to push each other under a bus, basically. Um, you know, Uber basically leaving Lewandowski out there and kind of saying, look, this is a, a dispute between you and a former employee. We want nothing to do with this. It should go to arbitration, which is what it says in the employment contract that you guys signed. Um, Lewandowski is basically saying, I don't want to self-incriminate. And so I'm going to not talk about any of this stuff and basically pushed it all back onto Uber. Uh, and so this week, as, as a result of that injunction from the judge, Uber finally said, uh, you know, we will fire you basically unless you do everything the judge has asked us to do. And, and either that means Lewandowski has to categorically deny in a written statement that he took any documents, or if he did take the documents, he has to, you know, has to do everything the judge asked him to do. So sort of dramatic um, steps this week in this case, you know, all of which seems to serve to highlight the sort of somewhat toxic culture at Uber that we've talked about before. You know, this this willingness to, to cut corners, to do shady things, you know, it emerged during the trial that Uber had basically agreed to hire and acquire uh, Lewandowski and his company even before he left Waymo, which makes that all seem a bit underhanded. Had given him you know, a bunch of stock options the day before he left uh, Waymo, for example. So there seems to have been a plan all along, which feels a bit shady. Um, but yeah, just the relationship between Lewandowski and Uber as well just feels like it's emblematic of all the stuff that's gone wrong culturally at Uber over the last several years. Oh, I totally agree. And what's interesting to me about the the way Uber is treating Lewandowski now with the threats that they are is that it seems to run counter to the way Kalanick does things historically with important people uh, mm -hmm. for the company. He, he shows quite a bit of loyalty. He's had other executives who have made pretty huge mistakes that he's insisted on keeping around. Yeah. Um, and so I think it highlights how extraordinary the claims are and the risk is to Uber that they would have gone to this to this point of basically saying, look, if you don't cooperate, we're going to fire you. There's an interesting um, uh, constitutional question at play with this, legally speaking, which is that Lewandowski is essentially, you know, uh, pleaded the fifth, right? He's, cl he's right. claimed a right under the Fifth Amendment to not self-incriminate, which is a constitutional protection. The court is has since put a ton of pressure on Uber to get the information it needs. And, and now Uber is threatening um, firing Lewandowski because of the pressure from the court. And so my understanding is that Lewandowski's lawyers are arguing a constitutional claim in this in this circumstance, essentially saying that the court doesn't have the right to pressure Lewandowski's employer to fire him if he doesn't cooperate. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it will be an interesting question to watch that play out, especially 
am curious how, how hard his lawyers are going to be fighting on that point. But don't be surprised if, if that alone, if that question alone drags this stage out quite a bit, because mm-hmm. this is the sort of thing that would get appealed. And, and, uh, you know, it, it, uh, uh, I am not familiar enough with the case law in this area to know what the general legal principles are surrounding a fifth amendment claim when mm-hmm. the court's putting pressure on an employer in this situation. But, um, it's a legitimate question to be asking, does the court have the right to threaten his livelihood if he doesn't essentially waive his Fifth Amendment rights? Right, right, yeah. No, it's it's fascinating legally, but uh, as I say, I think as interesting, at least as interesting uh, for what it says about Uber and the culture there. And oh, as totally. you say, a bit different. I mean, Emil, Michael, and other executives in the past who've misbehaved and been given significant cover by Travis Kalanick, you know, that's not what's happening here. The two have sort of distanced themselves from each other and are each sort of trying to push the case onto the other. Um, you know, in, which kind of just goes to show when there's something really at stake, and Uber certainly suggested that there's a lot at stake in this case because it sees self-driving technology as absolutely critical to its future. Uh, when there's really something at stake and, and some real consequences, then, you know, the cover kind of goes away to some extent. So, Right. Um, it's a, it, this, this all has a lot of layers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and it should also, and it's worth pointing out that the only way that Lewandowski can claim the Fifth Amendment is by refusing to self-incriminate, which means refusing to admit to a crime. So this right. isn't just a contract violation. If this was just a civil issue, legal issue mm-hmm. between Waymo and Lewandowski, um, the Fifth Amendment wouldn't even enter in. So his, right. his claiming the Fifth in this circumstance indicates that there's a risk that there would be criminal charges if he right. were to speak out as to and what's the, happening. And the judge actually explicitly referred it to the U.S. attorney, I think, um, sort of said, the right. U.S. attorney's office said, I think you should look into this with a view to bringing criminal charges. He didn't say you'd have to do um, that, but uh, he, he certainly thought there was a case to answer potentially. So, yeah. um, you know, that's another aspect of this as well. And, of course, you know, I mean, legally, nobody's allowed to read anything into the fact that you take the fifth, but... It obviously is an implication that you think you are at real risk of some kind of prosecution criminally uh, right. if you uh, do say whatever it is they want you to say, which certainly suggests he has taken the documents and perhaps it could be at least interpreted to have done bad things with them. So um, the other thing that, uh, that came out, I think it was last weekend actually, was uh, that Waymo and Lyft have signed a partnership. They're being pretty vague about... Um, what they're doing exactly, but it's, it's one of these classic, you know, sort of my enemy's enemy is my friend uh, situations where obviously Lyft is Uber's major competitor. Waymo is engaged in this really nasty lawsuit with Uber right now. Um, Waymo uh, has this fantastic technology, but really doesn't seem to have quite figured out how it's going to go about commercializing it. Uh, you know, it's talked about doing a ride sharing service. It has a sort of experimental ride sharing service in Phoenix, I think, right now, uh, where it's testing. A ride-sharing model, but I'm not sure Waymo or Alphabet broadly really wants to become a ride-sharing service as such. Uh, Lyft has a ride-sharing service um, and isn't Uber and uh, hasn't developed any of its own technology in this area. And it has an investment from GM and GM has Cruise Automation, which is an autonomous driving technology company too. Uh, But, you know, Lyft needs self-driving technology and Waymo needs a business model and it seems like a great fit in some ways between the two of them. It's going to be mostly experimental stuff for now, uh, trying various different models in different places and so on, rather than going big bang after a particular sort of joint approach to anything. But uh, interesting sort of alignment here, not just around 
the fact that they both hate Uber, but also around the fact that they both kind of need each other um, to, to bring their respective to- technologies and, and services to the next level. It certainly seems like autonomous driving is the future of this ride-sharing ser- uh, market. Mm. And, I mean, however far off that is, which we've talked about a couple times before, yeah. um, what's, where Uber had the opportunity to really entrench itself as, as, the, as a monopolist or as the dominant market player, was in that technology in that space and they've raised crazy amounts of money that they're investing in this technology the the fact that waymo who, who's done all of its research off the back of google advertising dollars can can all of a sudden just show up to lyft and say hey we've got all this great stuff let's partner together um puts uber at a much greater risk because uber has sort of pursued this independently that's the reason for the whole lawsuit and all of that mess and uh, and I think this speaks to the argument we made before when we talked about ethics at Uber. It is not obvious that Uber is going to maintain its position as the dominant market player here. You know, there there are there their fates can change very dramatically in relatively short order. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lawsuit like this can 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 really slow them down in the autonomous driving space. And they, yeah. their the progress and and their ability to implement technologies in in a in a in, a, in the market that that can get hung up and dramatically um, dramatically halted and and hindered by by all this lawsuit mess. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. Lyft and and Waymo could be off running and testing and doing new things, and before you know it, uh, you know most people are using Lyft instead of Uber. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. It's it's definitely potential right now. It's not reality for certain. You know, Uber no, seems to still not. be doing very well with it from, yeah. with consumers and so on, and growing very rapidly and, and all the rest of it. But uh, but yeah, you're right. You know, that there's I think the biggest single f- sort of factor in this market is that there is very little competitive differentiation. You know, the real yeah. the only differentiation today is number of cars and number of drivers and number of customers. You know, s- scale essentially, and Uber is winning there, not just in the U.S. but globally. Um, but you know, Lyft is expanding rapidly. In, in my experience, you know, I stopped using Uber over the last few months just because of everything that they've been doing, and I've tried to use alternatives, mostly Lyft. And I found, you know, that Lyft has been perfectly workable as a solution. You know, it, it doesn't seem like it's miles behind. But I've been mostly in big first-tier cities, and so there are other cities, other places in the country where Lyft either doesn't exist or is subscale at the moment. Um, but you know, as a service, it's identical essentially, and so. Uh, as are you know various other alternatives out there so that's the biggest single vulnerability for uber at this point is there's really nothing magic about its service it's exactly the same service just running at a slightly larger scale or considerably larger scale all right well let's move on to our last segment which is about uh, sort of as we said a grab bag of apple news let's run through these very quickly um over the weekend again i think it was maybe monday morning uh, apple uh it was confirmed that Apple had acquired a company called Lattice or Lattice Data, uh, reportedly for $200 million. Uh, Lattice is the commercialization of technology that was developed at uh, Stanford University. Uh, the project is called Deep Dive. The underlying technology is called Deep Dive. That's actually been open sourced, um, but it's been commercialized through Lattice. And Lattice um, is a uh, 
data analysis company, an unstructured data analysis company. So it's for taking unstructured data sets like lots and lots of documents and extracting useful information and relationships from those documents and putting those into a SQL database, for example, uh, so that it can then be used for other things by, by human beings or by computers. Um, so that, that's been acquired by Apple. Um, looks like probably about 20 engineers going to Apple as a result of that. Somewhat similar to the, the Google DeepMind acquisition from 2014. That cost 500 million, was uh, probably about twice the number of engineers, maybe three times. Um, but anyway, very interesting acquisition, obviously, you know, AI and machine learning being hot topics right now. This is sort of related to those. It's not in and of itself necessarily AI or machine learning, but it's, it's closely related to them. Uh, so that was one piece of news. Um, Apple finally very quietly confirmed that it is starting to make some phones in India uh, or have its contract manufacturer make some phones. There's Wistron as the Taiwanese manufacturer that's, that's uh, building phones in Karnataka. Um, and this has been rumored for months, but it was only ever sourced to Indian officials rather than Apple itself. And this week we finally had official very quiet confirmation. It looks like it's just the iPhone SE for now. Um, there was a whole bunch of accessibility videos that came out to coincide with uh, Global Accessibility Awareness Day, uh, which was this week. And then there's a story from CNBC about Tim Cook uh, talking about and being seen wearing a glucose monitor connected to his Apple Watch. Uh, so it was another one. And that kind of goes along with some recent reporting also from CNBC about Apple working on glucose monitoring technology internally for several years now. So whole set of different bits of news about Apple. There were other ones too. Uh, but Aaron, I'll, I'll punt this one over to you for now. Sort of, what was your take on all this stuff? Well, uh, starting off with uh, um, Lattice Data acquisition, I uh, Ingrid London at TechCrunch had a great article about it, so we'll link to it, and and uh, it's it, it's got a lot of interesting details, and we'll also also links to some other stuff. So I, I'd recommend that if if people want to learn more about that acquisition, that one I think is really fascinating. Um, because it shows how committed Apple is to the AI space, despite um, all of the uh, criticism to the contrary. <laughs> and so, I think uh, I, I think there's some there are some really cool things coming in the future. I'm not exactly sure what they all are, <laughs> but but uh, you know, having access to all of this data is is a massive um, is a massive opportunity and is going to be a massive need. Uh, the TechCrunch article references the fact that th there were about 4.4 zettabytes of data in 2013, and that's projected to grow to 44 zettabytes by 2020. And this is this is the vast majority of unstructured data. And the problem with unstructured data is that is that AI systems and computers generally can't really make much use of it, and so the ability to structure it is 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 a massive need um, that this acquisition will serve so that's very exciting um i the i want to throw some cold water on the glucose thing with tim cook because i, I i've been i've read the cnbc report and and a lot of the takes on this are jumping to a conclusion without the evidence needed to jump to the conclusion it is entirely likely, in my opinion, especially based on the timing of when Tim Cook supposedly said that he was wearing this glucose monitor when he's back in Scotland, and, and you had mentioned in February. Um, it is entirely likely that he's wearing a, a CGM or a continuous glucose monitor that's available today by a third-party manufacturer that then talks to the phone and the watch. 
Um, we've mentioned before in previous shows that I have a couple family members with diabetes and also a friend with diabetes, and and they all have a CGM that talks to their phone and watch. Um, it, it, it this is what this could be for Tim Cook. He's he's made reference in other interviews that he's lost thirty pounds. He's hinted that part of that has to do it, when he's talked about the glucose thing. He's he's hinted that he's monitoring his blood blood sugar levels to make sure he eats in a way that keeps him consistent. And these are normally really expensive devices, and so they're heavily subsidized by insurance, but obviously cost is not something that would keep Tim Cook away from one of these. And so he may be wearing a current, currently available CGM that has the subcutaneous contact point and, and all that kind of stuff that means that the idea that a lot of people have jumped to the conclusion that there is a, a glucose monitoring feature coming to the Apple Watch this fall, and I just don't think the evidence is there. There have been rumors about smart bands, but those rumors have been floating around for a couple of years now too. I, I think they are inevitable, but I don't think it's obvious that this is all something we should look forward to seeing in the fall when, if Apple updates the, the watch. Yeah, it, it certainly seems like something that... Um... I mean, Apple is working on, and yet um, that you know everybody else is in the industry is working on too. And it would be very surprising if Apple were the one that made the big breakthrough here, just given its lack of past knowledge in the area, and just given the complexities involved in something like this as well with FDA approval and so on. And Tim Cook said in the past, yeah. I don't really want to put the watch itself through FDA approval. So, what I can see happening is you know what if if you're right, and I suspect you are, that what he was wearing was just a generic off-the-shelf product from another company you know what i could see happening is that the apple watch increasingly integrates with that stuff directly so it measures things through other sensors that are connected wirelessly or by wires um you know and those products themselves are are created by third parties i could see that eventually making its way into bands that that connect directly into the watch so that you don't have another bulky device on you Um, but that seems like the most likely way for this to go for now i think you know in time sure apple you know seems to be working on glucose monitoring technology may be able to build it in uh, but for now, it doesn't feel like it's quite there yet. No, and Tim Cook would not be wandering around Apple campus talking surprisingly freely about a device that Apple's ready to launch in the fall in this space. That's just not right. That, that's just not reality. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, uh, just on the India stuff, um, as I say, it's been reported for months now. It was always odd that it was always coming from Indian officials rather than Apple itself. And even now, Apple hasn't made a big announcement about it. So I suspect this is small scale. It's focused on, focused on the iPhone SE, which may well be reaching end of life soon, um, You know, given that we may get a new version of it in the fall. Um, and so it feels experimental to me at this point. It feels like a test of whether Apple can get the results that it wants at the price that it wants in India and whether that will move the needle in terms of pricing and therefore adoption by Indian consumers. Um, you know, if this works, I could easily see them in the fall then ramping up production with a new model there. And I think that could make a much bigger difference. And I think that's perhaps why they're not making a lot of noise about it just yet. Um, but, you know, really interesting stuff coming there. You know, the Indian market has all kinds of other barriers besides local manufacturing that Apple still needs to overcome. But this this is certainly checking one of the big boxes that, that, that enables a bunch of other stuff like having retail stores in India um, and, uh, you know, winning over the hearts of Indians who care a lot about uh, supporting the local economy and that kind of thing. So it's certainly helpful in that sense. 
It reminds me of when Apple, back in 2011, uh, started making iPads and iPhones in Brazil or had plans to. And they those never really that that never that effort wasn't ever really super successful and didn't grow. Um, <clears throat> I think part of the reason Apple was doing it is because iPhones are so crazy expensive in Brazil versus other parts mm-hmm. of the world. Um, but uh, you know, I, I I'm not saying that the phones made in India will have the same fate, but I think it faces many of the similar risks because um, you know. These are neither of these countries can really stand up to the to the manufacturing prowess of China and Taiwan at this point, and so it's it, if it weren't for unique things about those two markets, I don't think it would have even been on the table. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Well, let's wrap up there for today. That's our news roundup for the week. Again, check out the other episode for the week for all the news from Google. Uh, as usual, we'll include a bunch of links in the show notes, including the TechCrunch article that Aaron mentioned and a link uh, to uh, several different uh, tech narratives articles that I've written this week on this news. Um, but that's it for this week. Thanks for listening, as always. And we'll be with you again next week when we have a whole new set of tech news to talk about. Thanks.